Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Amen. Good morning, church. What a wonderful morning of corporate worship, amen? That was great. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter 9. That's where we're going to pick up where we've left off uh, last week. So uh, Mark chapter 9. Uh, as you get there, there's kind of this, this idea. Uh, maybe you've said this to your kids before. Or maybe you've said it, don't judge a book by its cover. You ever, you ever said that to someone? Hey, don't judge a book by its cover. Maybe you're trying to get them to actually read a book, you know, for the first time in their life or something. And you're like, hey, don't, don't. I know there's no, no pictures, but don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, maybe you've said this, looks can be deceiving, right? Maybe you've said that. Now, I, I know this to be true because uh, several years back, I went to, to Mexico and, you know, when you get to Mexico and you're on a mission trip, they, they offer you, you know, different food than what you're used to, right? And so when, when I took my kids to Mexico, I, one of the first things I said to them was, listen, if they give it to you, you better eat it. Don't embarrass me, right? So, uh, you know, you're not going to get chicken fingers, okay? There's not going to be a Chick-fil-A. Like, let's, you know, let's go in. And so the first meal we had at the church was chicken fingers. And they're like, dude, you were wrong. I was like, it happens. You know, but like looks can be deceiving and, and there's nothing more true than guacamole, right? Holy guacamole, it's delicious. Like it looks disgusting. And some of you are like, you go to Dos Bros and they're like, that guacamole is going to be extra. And you're like, I know. And it's worth every penny, right? We're not going to, we're not going to get, yeah. Now there's a lot. Now this, this sounds like it's kind of split. Like there's only like, you know, four people in here. They're like, yes, guacamole. Yeah, okay, so guacamole, right? Holy guacamole, that was a bad intro. Okay, so looks can be deceiving. As we get into Mark chapter 9, there's going to be a, there's going to be a story that we, that we get to read. And looks can be deceiving because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, you, you get to see him in his glory, right? And so John would say it this way in, in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. We, we didn't realize it's what John says. Look, we didn't realize it, but the Word became flesh. This Word, this Logos, which, which you know, in that time meant everything came from this, this being, right? This being created all things, the Word, the Logos. He showed up in His glory, in the presence of human form. Jesus. As Isaiah says this, uh, he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So this idea of he, he's, he's in human form. Jesus is fully human, but he's fully God. Looks can be deceiving because he is God in the flesh. As we see, uh, looks can be deceiving because Jesus was fully God, fully man, and he is treated like a criminal rather than the Christ. We, we see this in, in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Think about that prophecy, that Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Word, became flesh. He put on flesh full divinity in the presence of humanity. And he allowed himself to be beaten, for his beard to be ripped out of his cheeks, to be spat upon. He was, he was treated disgracefully because looks can be deceiving. 
Jesus Christ, the one who created all things, holds all things together, as Colossians would say, was in the form of man. And as we get into Scripture, we're going to see that he, he, was, he was far greater than you could even imagine. So, looks can be deceiving. Jesus, whoa, it went too far. Jesus is humanity and divinity all wrapped up in the one. I like how Danny Aiken says it. The transfiguration of Jesus confirms that despite having the outward appearance of a mere mortal man, Jesus of Nazareth is in his nature the essence of God, deity dressed in a body. Looks can be deceiving. Today we come here and we worship and we're, we worship corporately and we're, we're worshiping focused on Jesus. So as we jump into scripture, let me pray for us. And let's get our minds and our eyes focused on Christ. Lord, we thank you so much, again, that we have this opportunity this morning to gather. Lord, we thank you for the local church, that we can be encouraged in corporate worship, that we can see one another and spur one another on in our faith. And God, as we sit this morning, as we read your word, God, focus our hearts, our eyes, our minds, and our attention on you because you are worthy of all praise, worthy of all glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as we, we left off last week, there's, there's this thing that's been happening over the last chapter. And the first thing that happened was the confession of Christ. So in Mark 8, 29, and he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. So Peter has this moment. It's given to him by the Spirit. He realizes, look, you're not just some teacher. You're not just some rabbi. You are Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting on. So he makes this declaration. You know, Peter's got to be riding pretty high right now. And then there's the coming cross that, that Christ talks about in Mark 8, 31 through 32. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. So, you're the Christ. And so they're like, yes, you're the Christ. And then Jesus goes on to say, yes, and I want you to understand that I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be put to death. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He says it very, very plainly. And then he gives them the call of Christ. In Mark 8, 34 through 35, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So you have the confession, then you have the coming cross, and then you have Jesus telling his disciples, not only am I going to die, but you're going to have to give up everything. You're going to have to carry your cross if you want to follow me. And so they're taking all of this in, and then there's this clarity that comes from Jesus. The clarity of this statement in Mark 9, verse 1. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now this has been a very confusing verse for many. They're like, well, is he talking about the second coming? Well, obviously not, because that was some 2,000 years ago, and None of those people are still living. So that can't be what this is referring to. What is this referring to? It's referring to the next thing that's coming. The next thing that's coming. Some of you standing here, are gonna, you're going to see the kingdom of God. You're going to see Jesus for who he really is. You're going to see him in light of eternity. You're going to see the transfiguration. You know, sometimes we struggle in our faith. Sometimes we feel like we, we make a good moment going forward. Like, oh, you're the Christ. 
And then we're met with opposition. We're met with depression or discouragement in our walk with Christ. And so sometimes we need to get back to like three simple things. And these are, these are not remarkable points. So if you're taking notes, at the end of the day, you're going to look at these and be like, well, I already knew this, right? You already knew these things. But sometimes you've got to, in your faith, we've got to get a glimpse of his glory. If we're going to keep moving forward and, and carrying our cross like he's called us to, to be his followers, sometimes you just need a glimpse of glory. So let's read, starting in verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. I like how Luke puts this. We, we see Luke telling the same story. He gives us a little more insight in depth. In depth. And, and Luke, he's, he's the physician, you know, he's the, he's the doctor. and He's going to be very meticulous in the way he tells the story. So he's gone back and he's interviewed all these eyewitnesses. And this is what he tells us in verse 28, chapter 9. Some eight days after these things. Now, wait a second. Did y'all catch that? There's a discrepancy. Didn't John Mark, who's given Peter's account, just say six days, and then Luke has given an account, and he says eight days? And so sometimes people will be like, look, the Bible, there's discrepancies. Well, it depends on how you count. If you count the day of and the day of, you got two extra days, am I right? Or you count the days between, so you have six days, or you have eight days, it's the same amount of time. He took along Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. Now, this is not the only time we see Peter, James, and John being brought by Jesus to to pray. Am I right? Now, this is probably six months before the crucifixion. This is where we are in, in the timeline. And so we see them being brought to pray. Now look at verse 32. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Do you see a pattern happening in scripture? What's going to happen next time they go and they pray? They all fall asleep, right? But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. As Luke tells this, he says that they became heavy with sleep. This Greek word means burdened, weighed down, depressed. Now, I, I told you all the, the, back, the back story here, all the context to let you know, look, this is, what, this is what's happened. Peter confesses Christ. Then Jesus says, look, I'm going to die. Let me, let me say this plainly to you. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die, and on three days I'm going to rise again. And not only that, you're going to have to pick up your cross, and you're going to have to carry it, because if you want to follow me, you're going to have to lose your life. And so they're dealing with this, and they've been wrestling with these things Jesus has said for the last six days, for the last week. And so they're really struggling, and they get to this point where they go away to pray, and it's quiet, and they're up on the mountain, and they're depressed. And, and, I, and I want to say that I don't want to talk about depression for a long time, but depression is real. Depression is something that many, many people face. There's a darkness that just seems to overwhelm the light of your life. And it begins to creep in. And, and if you know anybody who's struggled with depression or if you've struggled with depression, you know that there's times where you just don't want to get out of bed. I just want to lay here. I just want to sleep the day away because I'm just I'm so dark in depression. And I got, I got some really good news for you. You ready for this? Depression is not the absence of Jesus. Jesus was with them the entire time. And they're still struggling with what, what Jesus has told them. They're still struggling with the reality of what's going to happen. Sometimes we struggle with the world that we live in. We struggle because depression is the entanglement of this world and its biological, emotional, and spiritual troubles that leave us feeling trapped in the darkness. And the light came into the world 
and the darkness could not overcome it. That's what John tells us. There's a light in this world. There's a glimpse of glory that we all need because there are times when we become so fixated on the, the right now that we can't see the eternal. Maybe we've, come, we've gotten bad news or maybe we've, we've been told something that's just knocked us off our path and our faith and sometimes we just simply need a glimpse of God's glory. I like how R.C. Riley puts it this way. I quoted him last week. I'll quote him again this week. We need not doubt that this is marvelous. This is a marvelous vision was meant to encourage and strengthen our Lord's disciples. They had just been hearing of the cross and passion and the self-denial and the sufferings to which they must submit themselves. If they would be saved, they were now cheered by a glimpse of the glory that should follow. What a great moment. God knew exactly what they needed. They needed a glimpse of glory and the renewed, the reward which all faithful servants of their master would one day receive. They had, seen, they had seen their master's day of weakness. They now saw for a few minutes a pattern and specimen of his future power. Now is the season for carrying the cross and sharing in our Savior's humiliation. The crown, the kingdom, the glory are all yet to come. What a marvelous thought. That though we suffer now, though we carry our cross, though we, though we are burdened, though we are weak in the flesh, there's a day of glory coming. This is the hope we have in Scripture. Sometimes we need a glimpse of glory. Sometimes we need the light to shine in the darkness. We need our hearts rejuvenated and our eyes refocused on Christ's true nature. Why are we here today? Are we here to check it off our list? Are we here because this is what you do in cultural Christianity? Why are we here? No, we're here for one reason, one reason only. It's because we need to get our eyes fixated back on Christ. Because all week long, all six days, we've been dealing with the darkness of this world. And today's the day where we refocus. We get rejuvenated by a glimpse of glory, who Jesus Christ is. And that's why we're here. That's why we sing songs of his glory today. We need our hearts fixated, our eyes fixated on the glory of God. This is why Hebrews would say this in 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We serve a God who came and lived in the flesh. Looks can be deceiving because he is the one who holds all things. He holds the universe in place. He made a way for us by being the purification for our sins. It says in verse 3, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach him. Now, I like that because uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a guy who likes things clean. And when I do laundry, there's times where I'm like, you know what? This needs some bleach. There's no rhyme or reason. Just sometimes I want to bleach it because I want to make sure it's clean. And let me tell you, my wife is the first to tell me that I shouldn't have bleached that because now she can't wear it. It's not the right color anymore. You know, these are the things that happen in my house, but I'm like, but it's clean. That's, that's a clean shirt, right? This is how he says, look, I can't even bleach things this white. This is, the, this is so white. Revelation 21, 23 tells us what this glory is, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Listen, there is a light of this world. His name is Jesus Christ, and he, he overcomes the darkness, the sin that's in this world. The darkness that seeks to dwell in our hearts and minds needs a glimpse of the glory of God. 
Sometimes we just need God's light to come into our lives. It says he was transfigured. This is the word metamorphosis. This is the word uh, transformed. Maybe, maybe for you, you hear the word metamorphosis and you instantly think of a butterfly because that's what I think of, right? You got a little caterpillar and he's just crawling along and he creates a cocoon and then boom, a couple days later, a week later, I have no idea. I, don't, I didn't pay attention in science. You know, sometime later, this beautiful winged butterfly comes out and you're like, that looks totally different than what it was before. And this, this is what he says. This is salvation. We see a glimpse of glory. We get a glimpse of this. This is what he's doing in our life. Because salvation is a transformation. Romans 12, 2, this is what Paul says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be, here's the word, transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He's like, look, when there's salvation, salvation is not you being a better person. Salvation is God giving you a new heart and a new mind and transforming you from the inside out. You're no longer the old man. You're a new man. It's through Jesus Christ. Be transformed by the way that you think, by the way that you live because there's a new heart in you. And then that continues through sanctification. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, verse 18 says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being what? Transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So this is what's happening. You see this glimpse of glory, but look, there's a glimpse of glory in your life. God is transforming you by the power and the presence of a Spirit. It's a down payment for the, for the time of glory that's to come. He's changing you from one degree to the next. What that looks like for me is that, look, I used to struggle with this sin. I'm so glad I'm past that, but you know what? God's showing me now that I'm dealing with this. There's something else that he wants to chip away in my life. There's darkness in my life. He wants, to, he wants to pull back that veil. He wants to unveil that so I get one degree closer to him. But it's all his work. It's not my work. It's not me being a better person. So it all leads to glory. Paul says this in Philippians 3, 18 through 21. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Can I just... Look at this, with tears. As he writes this, he's like, look, let me tell you, there are some that know who Jesus is, and they've chosen to walk as enemies of the cross. And he is grieved by it. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. He's like, look, they've taken their eyes off the glory of God, and they fixated it on their bellies and what they want, and they glory in their shame. They glory in the sin that they think is okay. They're going in this direction, but, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. This is the hope of glory, a glimpse of glory. There's salvation that's a transformation. There's sanctification that's a transformation. And one day there's glorification that's a transformation where we will become in the sight of God, in in his glory, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. God is at work So, Paul tells us that you can glory in your shame or you can glory in your Savior. As we think about how we live out our faith, we've got the option. We can glory in our shame or we can glory in our Savior. We can keep our eyes fixated on Him. We We can walk as enemies of the cross or we can walk as those who carry their cross. There's two options here. 
We can look down and focus on the darkness, or we can look up for a glimpse of his glory. As we look at the world that we're involved in right now, it's really easy for us to look down, to get discouraged, to look at the darkness that's all around us. We need to look for his glory. In the world that we live in right now, it's really easy for us to glory in our shame rather than glory in our Savior. You see, when we are facing uncertain times, when we've received bad news, when we're struggling in our faith, when we are so depressed by what we see and hear all around us, we need to get a glimpse of the glory of God, a glimpse of his truth. So, number two, sometimes in our faith, we need to get on board with his plan. I told you, this is pretty simple. Get a glimpse of glory and get on board with his plan. So let's keep reading here. Verse four, and there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. You know, that's probably an understatement, right? That's an understatement of what's really going on. So there's these two figures that pop up, these Old Testament figures, Moses and Elijah. Moses, who represents the law and God's written word, Moses had been dead nearly 1,500 years at this point. 1,500 years. Elijah, who represents the prophets and the voice of God, Elijah had been taken up in a whirlwind from the earth more than 900 years before this. So let this be some encouragement to you. This is some encouragement. This passage shows us the eternal security all true believers have in Christ. We have a home. We are citizens of heaven. There is a place that we're going to go that is going to be an everlasting home for us. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Yes, we are of good courage. Look, we're encouraged and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. See, death is just a doorway to glory. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe, maybe there's one thing you've realized is that we're not in control during this COVID-19 pandemic, that, that there is death all around us, that there is sickness all around us, that, that one day we all kind of are going in this direction. But there's a hope of glory. We will be with Christ. So verse 4 says this, And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. That's an understatement, right? So Luke kind of gives us some insight of what they were talking about in verses nine, uh, chapter 9, verses 30 through 31. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So they're talking about his departure. This word departure, also translated death, is the Greek word exodus. This, this is remarkable. This is so cool. So you get a glimpse of glory, and you've got the law, and you've got the prophets, and you've got Christ who brings it all together, sitting there talking about the very, the very plan from the very beginning. They're talking about the exodus. You see, Jesus would lead his people of God out of the bondage of sin in a new exodus through his death. He would be the new Passover lamb and resurrection, and he would create a new people called the church to join him in a new promised land in eternity. And this is what they're talking about. This should be an encouragement to all of us. This is the plan from the beginning. Jesus is the greater Moses, leading his people out of their bondage of slavery 
to a true promised land of glory. Jesus is the greater prophet who is foretelling the plan of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah are discussing his atoning death and his fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. They're discussing the very plan from the beginning. They're discussing what God's word points to even after the fall of Adam and Eve. They're discussing the plan. Here's the plan. Genesis 3.15, this is said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will crush your head and, sh- and you shall bruise his heel. Look, there's going to be a seed of woman. There's going to be a man born of a virgin. He's going to be God in the flesh. And he is going to make all things right by his death, burial, and resurrection. We're going to see a glimpse of his glory here. The transfiguration is a glimpse of God's glory and a declaration of his plan. 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is the plan. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the plan. The plan from the very beginning. And he's there and he's discussing it. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say. For they were terrified. You know, if you don't know what to say, probably don't say anything, right? That's probably a good bit of advice for us. I don't know what to say. Let me say this. I don't know if this is nervous talk. Is anybody nervous talk in here? Like you get nervous and you start talking? Maybe that's what I'm doing right now, right? Nervous talking. Now, my daughter, I didn't tell her I was going to pick on her. I love you, girl. Love you. When she was little, she would nervous talk whenever we were in line for a roller coaster. Now, she wanted to ride the roller coaster. Sometimes she didn't, and Daddy paid for us to get in, and we're all riding, okay? So I didn't pay for us to look at the roller coasters. I paid for us to ride the roller coasters. We're all riding the roller coasters, and I don't care if you're crying. You're having a good time. That's basically how it goes, right? So we would get in line, and she would just start talking 90 miles an hour. Oh, look, he's got shoes. Oh, look, that guy's wearing shorts. Oh, look, this. And she's just talking, talking, talking until we get on the roller coaster, and then it was just Are you having a good time? Yeah, I'm having a good time, right? I don't know if Peter's nervous talking, but Peter's like, let me insert this. You know, I've got these great leaders here from the Old Testament and Jesus who's glowing. Let me say this. Hey, let's let's build some tents. This is a great idea. It's good for us to be here. You know what? This it it actually, in Peter's defense, is not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. You know why? Because during this period of time was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And so this was, this was a time where, where he was thinking, you know what? This is what we do to worship. The festival was instituted to remember the years that Israel wandered in the desert after their exodus departure from Egypt. So he hears that they're talking about the exodus. He sees Moses. He knows that Israel's celebrating the, 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 the festival here and the, the Feast of Tabernacles. He's like, look, let's, let's build tents. During this festival, Israel gathered thick branches and built booths or tents in which they would... Uh, stay in or live in during the span of the festival. So he takes this idea of this is how we've been raised. This is, this is how we worship. This is what we should do. Let me insert this because this sounds really good. My plan, my plan, my idea sounds really good. Peter's plan was to worship through what he thought was best. He filtered his fearful response through the religious grid that he followed. See, sometimes we think we have a great idea based on what we think. Sometimes our religious ritualistic responses are not necessarily in accordance to God's plan. 
Sometimes God simply wants us to listen to him rather than do what we think he wants us to do. Sometimes we need to get on board with his plan instead of insisting on our own procedures. Sometimes we fill up the the empty space with words. Sometimes we are not comfortable with the quiet of waiting on the Lord to speak. So we think, well, I'll just do this. This sounds really good. This is kind of what I was raised to think. This is what I was raised to do. I love what R.C. Sproul puts. Well, I'm not there yet. We can come up with all kinds of ideas of what we're going to do for God, how we're going to do this or serve here, accomplish that. But have we listened to his voice? Have we spent time in his word? This is what R.C. Sproul writes. I think the greatest weakness in the church today is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a methodology, in a technique, in anything but that which God has placed it. His word. He alone has the power to change lives for eternity. And that power is focused on the scriptures. So, have you listened to God? Are you functioning in what you think sounds good? When's the last time you cracked open the Bible and you said, God, I'm desperate for a word from you. I'm desperate for you to speak to me through your spirit and through your word. Lives are changed by scripture. As we go through this odd time of COVID-19, we, you know, we're looking for the future and we're, we're longing for the time where we can come back and have discipleship groups and have small groups and Sunday school classes and those things. And, and I can't tell you, I, I don't, you know, like I said last week, planning during a pandemic is done in pencil. So I can't tell you dates of when those things are happening, but I can tell you one thing. Our church needs to focus on Scripture. We, we don't need to focus on topics, how to be better people. We need to focus on Christ. His Word is what changes us. He speaks to us through the power of our Spirit. He leads us from death to life. This is God's Word. We should listen to it. Sometimes in our faith... We just need to get back to the basics. A cloud overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Look at this. Listen to him. Peter, you, you got all these ideas. You need to just listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Listen to him. This reminds us of Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Speaking of Christ. Sometimes we need to stop trying to figure out what to do in our faith and start listening to the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We have a lot of good ideas on what it looks like to be religious, but are we listening to the, to the word of God? Are we listening to Jesus Christ? You see, this is, this, is a, this is remarkable, okay? You might want to write this down. This will blow your mind. If you want to know God's will, guess what? Read his word. I told you it's simple. Not only that, if you want to live in accordance to God's will, apply his word. Sometimes we just need to get back to the basics. We thought, you know what? I should do this. You know what? I should follow this. I should, I should do it this way. Well, let me ask you, are you doing the basics? Are you reading his word? 
Not only that, are you applying his word? Maybe we should just listen to him. This reminds us of the baptism of Jesus, where there was a voice from heaven, and a dove descended down on him, and he said, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. God says audibly, this is my son. Listen to him. Peter would say it this way. I love this. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, 16 through 19. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is what Peter says. Look, we saw it. This is not some myth there was three of us. There's three eyewitnesses accounts. This was not just some hallucination one person had. We were eyewitnesses and we heard the voice audibly. This is my son. We were there on the holy mountain. We saw the whole things. And you know what? It'd be really good. It'd be really good if you let the lamp shine in the dark areas. It'd be really good if you actually took his word and let it shine in the darkest areas of your life. I was reading a book by Kevin DeYoung, and he says this. It is as if Peter is saying, look, I saw the transfiguration, and I was not alone. We heard it. We were eyewitnesses. We were not making this up to scare you. We're not passing along intriguing stories or clever tales. We're telling you what happened. We saw his glory. We saw it with our own eyes. We heard God speak audibly. This was not an experience in our hearts or a vision in our souls. If you had been on the mountain, you would have seen and heard the same things. We're talking about fact, not a fable. Remember the point Peter's trying to make here. He wants the saints to be holy. He wants them to consider their lives in light of Christ's return. He's trying to convince them of the certainty of the second coming. And one way to prove that glorious, dreadful, amazing, wonderful, fearful second coming of Christ will happen in history is for Peter to remind these believers that he has already seen the glorious, dreadful, amazing, wonderful, fearful appearing of Christ. Peter saw the unveiling. Peter realized Christ was more than a carpenter. He was more than an open-minded guru. He was more than a non-judgmental encourager of everyone and everything. When he saw Jesus sparkling white and dazzling in majesty with a glorious cloud, he knew at that moment that this was a man not to be trifled with. And when Jesus comes again, we will all realize, even if it's too late for some, that ungodly living is inconsistent with the glory of Christ. Sometimes we need a glimpse of his glory. Sometimes we need to get on board with his plan instead of making up our own plan. Sometimes, sometimes we need to get back to the basics. Sometimes we need to realize that 
unholy living is inconsistent with a glorious God that we fix our eyes on. Sometimes, if you want to know God's will, you need to read his word. And if you really want to follow him, if you really want to follow his will, it's not just, it's not just a book that you read. It's words that you apply to your life. So as we worship today, I think my question would be, are you facing discouragement in your faith? Get a glimpse of glory. Pray for revival of your heart. Ask God to transform your mind. Ask God to show you that you are being changed from one degree of glory to the next through the pattern of sanctification and allow him to speak to you so that you live your life now in view of the second coming of Christ because it's coming. It's the ultimate reality. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.